Yeah, what's going on, everybody? Good morning, good morning. Welcome to the NFL Week 13 Recap Show presented by No House Advantage. I'm Eric Lindquist. I'm very excited to be back here. I feel like I haven't been on this show forever with one Adam Scherer. And you know what? It's really fun when somebody on the panel wins 100K. It'd be even more fun if it was me, but you know, whatever. I think at Chip My Money DFS, that's Adam Scherer is a pretty good person. Uh, I, he might not believe that, but I think he's a pretty good person and deserves to win 100K. Adam, how you doing this fine Monday morning? I, I think I'm fucking great. I don't think a lot of other people <laughs> would agree with you, but uh, yeah, I think I'm, I'm a good person. But uh, yeah, no, I'm doing well. Yesterday, yesterday was fun. Uh, won, won an early slate tournament, had a nice Millie sweat, which I'd never really had before. Uh, so didn't come through there, but it was a good time. I was going to say, we're going to do a lot of recapping of Adam's greatness on Sunday. I'm, I'm looking forward to that. I think it makes it a really fun discussion point, especially considering he won 100K on an early slate. He was competing in the millie. Multiple slates, multiple places, multiple ways that he found himself at the top of leaderboards in a lot of ways. So I'm excited to be breaking it down with you here. As you get in, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, hit that notification bell. So you know when this and all the other content here at Awesome is going live. We'll talk a little bit about No House Advantage here in a second. But first, Adam, 100K. I mean, is this starting to get a little bit boring for you when you're dominating NBA? You're smashing in the NFL streets. I see you in college basketball, NHL. You're having sweats constantly. How do you have all the bandwidth for all of this DFS? Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it definitely doesn't get old because you have the losing streaks in between as well. So uh, it, it's always, you know, you kind of have to win tournaments with how top heavy they are to mm-hmm. make up for, you know, the losses in between. So uh, obviously really nice to, to get a few of them kind of stacked up, but um, yeah, it's, you know, using, you know, kind of shameless blog, I guess, but using a lot of the tools at Osmo, um, using similar, you know, stuff that is available on the site in my process, you know, it's a, uh, it, it saves a lot of time. The projections are great. I don't need to know a lot about most sports, uh, <laughs> you know, basically outside of basketball and baseball. I don't really know anything, but uh yeah, it's great. It just makes life easier. You don't have to devote as many hours to individual sports. It makes it so you can just play a bunch of different sports, uh, play a bunch of different slates, give yourself you know more avenues to, to take down tournaments and, and win some money. We'll continue knowing nothing about football because I think that's going pretty well for you. Look at this. Jordan Klein, best producer in the game here, throwing up on the screen your 100K winner. It was in the 300K Hail Mary, the $12 early only contest here. And looking through your exposures, 150 lineups here. Jamal Williams was at the top of the board, 83.3%, and that did not come to fruition. But guess what? The rest of your core smashed. James Conner, Chris Godwin, Kyle Pitts was not ideal, but uh, we'll get to kind of this make uh, this winning lineup here with Dallas Goddard. Uh, worked out pretty darn well. I think he was an important part of this slate. George Kittle we'll discuss as well. But uh, looking at this lineup, 225.42 in the early slate only. David Montgomery alongside uh, Tom Brady, Jamal Williams, Chris Godwin, Russell Gage, Amon Ross, St. Brown, I don't even want to talk about him, uh, Vikings, I hate you, Dallas Goddard, Leonard Fournette, and Colts. What is kind of your, uh, looking back at this lineup, what are you kind of thinking as far as your process? Um, I was pretty happy with it. Like, I thought it was just kind of a standard lineup. You know, I ended up, so one interesting thing yesterday was anybody that watched the strategy show with me and Josh, I had said I really liked Tampa Bay in terms of, the spot and their chances of success. I, at the time thought that I was going to end up not really getting to a whole lot just because of the ownership coming in on the combination of Brady win and Gronk um, and kind of the team as a whole. But by the time we got around the lock and I had messaged this to people in Slack at around noon, I was, I ended up, I was getting to a ton of Tampa, not only on the 
early slate, but on the main slate, because what ended up happening was they were getting ownership, but a lot of the other teams that I would have wanted to go to as a pivot were getting similar ownership. So it ended up being a situation where I kind of just jammed in what seemed like the best spot and then found other ways to be contrarian. For example, in this lineup, having Dallas Goddard instead of Gronkowski Mm -hmm. just put me in a position where, um, you know, if Godwin and Fournette do well with Brady and then Goddard happens to be Gronkowski, I am in a, a really good spot. Um, so I was happy with, you know, kind of the way that built uh, Russell Gage was a run back. I used a lot on the main slate and the early slate that came through really well. Um, just, you know, it kind of worked out the way that, but when we talk about running it back with someone from the opposing team, I don't think that's a necessity by any stretch, mm-hmm. but when you kind of talk about the positive correlation, Russell Gage getting there was sort of like exactly how that works out. Tampa Bay got out to a, a lead. And then at the end of the game, Gage ends up in the fourth quarter, just picking up a bunch of extra points. He goes over a hundred yards, gets, I think like four more points on that final drive uh, just because, you know, Atlanta's playing from behind and just throwing him the ball, you know, in, in light coverage basically mm-hmm. uh, for the last like, five to 10 minutes of the game. So it kind of worked out exactly like you hope it does when you do uh, run it back with somebody had two guys from Detroit. That's something that I actually uh, used to not do. And then the more and more we did shows like this, mm-hmm. I was just like, this is stupid. Like I need to stop setting this rule because <laughs> I, I think it's, th- there's still negative correlation in the sense that, you know, if Jamal Williams scores, St. Brown doesn't, you know, but at the same time, if the Lions are moving the ball and consistently in a position to score. That's good for everybody in the offense. So that's a rule that I've relaxed and I've had some good results, uh, you know, doing that. So um, I, I was pretty happy with the way this lineup ended up. Looking. That's the very first strategy show that I did with Josh this year, where I think I've had that rule in existence for around six years, where I was basically capping it at one player, unless you have the quarterback, uh, whether that's running back wide receiver. And I think looking at this, Obviously, it worked out really well, but sometimes if you're in a good spot in the Minnesota defense, even against the Lions, there are really no words to describe their ineptitude. But uh, Jamal Williams, Amon Ross, St. Brown in the same lineup, no problem doing anything like that. Don't want to be looking at getting the three on anything that isn't like a two or a three game slate, but more than happy to be doing it here in this capacity. So I think that lineup looks really, really nice. David Montgomery, obviously at 11% on an early slate alone. Uh, there's, there's nothing you can say. Everything about this lineup is fantastic. The Colts defense was a big part of yesterday's slate for sure. Um, you know, there were a lot of main slates that were decided because the chargers were cheaper, but Colts ended up working out really, really nicely here in this spot. Anything else you want to discuss about this lineup other than, Hey, I'm richer than I was on Saturday. Uh, yeah, you mentioned Montgomery piece. I thought that just was a really good spot where like he was going really low owned, um, Obviously wish I'd be able to get to more of him and less of Williams. But uh, one other, I guess, thing to mention with the Williams plus St. Brown piece, I do still typically limit it so I don't have two pass catchers without the quarterback because I think then you start to get into territory where it's, okay, if both of these guys go off, they're mm-hmm. probably scoring touchdowns and the quarterback's yep. doing well. But like I don't think Jared Goff necessarily has to play really, really well for Jamal Williams and St. Brown to have good games at the same time. Agreed. We got one question, defect there. Yes, how many total rules do you usually have set for NFL? five to six, but they're pretty basic. Like I, I try my best not to restrict too much stuff because mm-hmm. there's still just a lot of volatility in, in NFL, but um, you know, not playing the same running back, not playing two running backs from the same team, mm-hmm. um, not playing two tight ends from the same team. Although typically I just don't play two tight ends anyway. Uh, the rule I just said about not having two pass catchers without the quarterback, the rule you said, not having more than two guys from the same team without the opposing or without their quarterback, you know, typically not going to have three guys from 
a team anyway, but certainly would like to have their quarterback if I do. Uh, so it's pretty much just basic stuff like that. On the bigger slates, um, I typically set a rule not to have uh, wide receiver tight end from um, paired with defense from their same team, just because that's a spot where that that's another rule where I don't think it's that important. I just prefer, I know I'm going to play like all the defenses anyway. I prefer to maximize the, you know, if, if I get a pick six from, uh, from my defense, that's a possession they're taking away from the passing game. Yeah. So I prefer to just have that spread out, but that's not even what I feel strongly about, but uh, in general, I don't do a whole lot in the sense of rules. Okay. Yeah. I mean, it, for me, it's the exact same thing where, you know, I don't want to get two wide receivers without the quarterback. I'm not going to get two running backs from the same team, no two tight ends from the same team. So you just limit it to one in the limit rules. And then a lot of my time is spent in groups. Um, I'm just going to be doing kind of the groups and then the run backs, figuring out who I want to boost, who I don't. Usually it'll take down the running backs and then take up a little bit more of the pass catchers, but that's always very volatile. We have so many videos to be able to watch on the site of, of Alex, of Adam, of all of these guys, Josh, going through the process of building these lineups in Cruncher. Check those out. Nothing better than, than figuring out exactly what works best for you. And obviously this is what works best for Adam. Congrats, my guy. 100K, very, very nice hit. Thank you. All right, let's move it on to the portion of the program everybody really likes here. We're going to go through the Millie Maker. And we've been doing the slant quite a bit. And sometimes the, the ownership, uh, it shows up correctly in, in certain spots on the Cruncher and the Rewind. It looks really, really good today. So we are going to roll completely exclusively with the fantasy football millionaire. That is the Millie Maker over on DraftKings. $1 million to first, $3.25 million prize pool. We're going to cover that here. And it was a 150 fest pretty much everywhere except for the top spot. And I know that that seems silly to say, but the number one guy up there, K-Land 304, he put in three lineups. He cashed two and he won a million dollars. That would be a fun Sunday. That would be a really, really fun NFL Sunday. I'd sign up for such things, but... Uh, looking at his lineup to uh, if we're able to just like pull up his individual lineup. Oh, look at that. He finished first 29,358. <laughs> oh man. I just want to have that happen one time, but uh, Gardner Minshew, the quarterback with Dallas Goddard there, uh, just a, a skinny stack sitting there. Jamal Williams, Sony, Michelle, Chris Godwin, Deontay Johnson, my dude. I've been playing this guy a crazy amount with his workload, and it was nice to finally get that one uh, correct. Justin Jefferson, another massive outing for him here. George Kittle, Dallas Goddard, Rams. Basically, if you didn't pay up at wide receiver, you were drawing dead on this slate before it even started. Yeah, Cooper Cup went nuts, but even more so Justin Jefferson sitting right below him as a pivot. Deontay Johnson, all of these guys. Chris Godwin, of course. Talk to me about some of the, the more expensive wide receivers in the context of this slate. Yeah, I mean, I thought it was a really good slate to pay up at wide receiver because you didn't have a whole lot to really like amongst the value pieces, especially down towards the bottom. I mean, for example, um, Josh Reynolds got 13% ownership at 3,400. He was a good option, you know, for sure. Um, I'm not, you know, knocking him, but anytime that Josh Reynolds is getting 13% ownership, it kind of tells you the state of the cheap receiving options. You know, it's, it's still a Detroit receiver uh, playing on one of the worst offenses in the league. So um, that kind of, you know, speaks to how, the value receivers were pretty weak. You had a, a pretty strong mid range. You know, you had Renfro, you had Higgins, you could get to, but he was even relatively low owned. Um, but it was really, you know, getting up to that Godwin, Evans, Johnson, Jefferson, Cup territory, and it was made easier by the fact that you had Sony Michelle at forty three hundred, but you also had, you know, Miles Sanders was cheap, David Montgomery was relatively cheap, Gibson was cheap, sub six k. Uh, you had Jamal Williams sub six k. There were all these cheap, relatively cheap six k guys or below uh, running backs that just made it really easy to pay up. 
You also had Minshew clearly underpriced at 4K, so that made things easier. Uh, you could go cheap at tight end. You know, Foster Moreau was really, really popular. We'll talk about him in a bit, but uh, there were plenty of cheap enough tight ends that you could get to. It was just really easy to pay up at, at wide receiver from the sense that there was a lot of value in other positions. But then also when you started looking at the 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 gap in talent between what was available at the top of receiver and what was available at the bottom, it really was obvious that you wanted to be doing that. Uh, yeah, I would definitely say so. Uh, Sony Michelle, let's get to the Sony Michelle portion of the program here right off the bat. I We're going to go through everybody's individual exposure. We've got Osmo. So of course we've got Alex Baker. We've got Steve Buzzard to Colts. We've got Neil NC Orfield, our guy here at Osmo. I'm going to be doing the Monday night uh, show with him covering all the showdowns ins and outs tonight. Looking forward to that and really looking forward to watching this football game. Patriots, Bills, I think we all are. Uh, probably will be terrible now. And, of course, the winner no, here, Caleb. Not, oh, you're not? I am not looking. I, no. It's just an, it's another primetime game. It's going to suck somehow. Okay. Well, I'm Mr. Pessimistic. I don't know. <laughs> I'm just throwing it out there. I'm saying that I have more hopes for this one than, let's see, what's coming down the pipeline Thursday. Pittsburgh, Minnesota. Just shoot me in the face <laughs> before we even start this football game. Adam, did you know I'm a Viking fan? Yeah, I did. Um, I'm, I'm a Viking fan, too, at the moment. There are no words. We, we really need to keep going here. All right, we're back. <laughs> I'm looking at your exposures here. 96% Sony Michelle. Neil, 82%. I'm looking at some of my stuff around. I had 68%. We have Osmo, 50% to Colts, 20% there. And, of course, Kayland, he had 100% of the Sony Michelle play. And Sony Michelle... 4,300. It's very rare that you're going to find a running back anywhere near the men that you're going to project out to be getting 80 plus percent of the workload. And uh, that's basically what I was projecting him for when Daryl Henderson ends up getting ruled in. But I thought it was basically an emergency. We need you or we're actually losing to Jacksonville. And this is the apocalypse kind of a scenario for him. 98%. You had no qualms about it whatsoever. Talk to me about your process with him specifically. So this is something that I think people should actually really pay attention to um you know normally when we talk about a lot of this stuff it's just you know kind of obvious Shooting but this is something shit, whatever it, it yeah. normally comes up like once or twice a year and this was one of those spots um so I, I had clearly a ton of michelle from the beginning because the assumption early in the day was that henderson was going to be out and we knew that all the rams had was michelle and a guy they had just called up from the practice squad and those were the only two active running backs so then you get the report around lock that Henderson is likely to be active, but it still seemed, but, but Michelle's still expected to be the lead back pay. It's really important to pay attention to who's actually available on a team because it was somewhat predictable that they were going to have Henderson active in an emergency standpoint. And the plan probably was like, if Sony Michelle gets hurt, at least Daryl Henderson can pass block and we're not going to get Matt Stafford killed. Um, like, I think that was probably what the plan or the reason he was active. It was just, we need a body that can go out there and be on the field and at least do something in a worst case scenario. Um, if they had had a third guy healthy, like if they had Michelle, another guy, and then this practice squad guy, and then Henderson was ruled in, I would have been a little bit more concerned about my Michelle thinking that maybe they're at least going to like split carries, but I was, I wasn't certain, but pretty confident that Henderson wasn't playing in that game um, unless something really weird happened. And that's why I decided to just keep all of the Michelle that I had. But it's just really important to know, even though you're never like, from a DFS standpoint, you're never considering playing Michelle's backup yesterday or anything like that. It's just important to know that they literally had no third string guy and it made it a lot more 
likely that Henderson was simply active just to be active. Do you ever think about, and this is something that comes from just having played every DFS sport forever. I know that you play NHL, college football, everything. My weekend, my day off, my Saturday was basically playing eight different DFS sports in front of a television watching college football. It was glorious. That's kind of what I want to do on my day off. But still, I think about DFS in the particular sports and the particular prize pools more than I probably ever have before. I thought Sonny Michel was maybe a guy that you needed to increase simply because this is an NBA. Does that make any sense what I'm saying? Because it was, wait. Because it's because it's NFL where people don't necessarily react. Either they build lineups on Saturday and they feel set in their ways with things or the news breaks late that you're going to get an active Henderson and people aren't going to necessarily react to that. Or they, they don't see that uh, Henderson's inactive before the lock of the main slate at 10 a.m. out here on the West Coast, 1 p.m. Eastern time on, on, the, on the East Coast. And people just aren't sort of... Uh, People aren't sort of reacting to what's going on live. I think that's possible. I think for the most part, though, the field's just gotten a lot sharper to where typically they do. I, I would love to know how much Sony Michelle got swapped off of when Henderson was listed available mm-hmm. because 20% seems unbelievably low to me. Um, we had him projected for 26%. And when I saw that, I was kind of just like, wow, I will be shocked if it's that low. Um, like I was expecting it to be at least 35%, if not higher. So I would love to know kind of what it was and then what it ended up being. But um, I think it's like, I think the field's gotten a little bit sharper and there's just more 150 max players that kind of drive up the exposure on the most popular players. Like we've seen it in NBA, but we've also seen it in mm-hmm. NFL where there's been times where it's just like, there's, you know, a couple of players where they're some of the best projected plays, but then they just like, are way more popular than they were expected to be because yep. the field has just gotten like medium projection crazy at this point. So um, I, I was expecting him to be really, really popular. I definitely wasn't bumping him up thinking he was going to end up being overowned, but I was still playing a ton just thinking that he was 4,300 and there was no reason not to play him. It's going to be very tough to find another scenario the rest of the NFL season or maybe even next season where you're going to have this underowned of a play. Like that, that yeah. probably is the right way of looking at it. Yeah. Going into the four o'clock games, like obviously I had a lot of really good lineups and going in, like I was kind of looking at my lineups and, you know, I'd be like, oh, I have minutes left. And then I'm like, oh, it's Sony Michelle. That's not going to matter. That's not going to matter. And then I see he's 20% on. I'm like, oh my God, I can actually like gain mm-hmm. on the field with this guy. That's amazing. He was like, I, Antonio Gibson in most stuff was nearly nearing 30%. Uh, Eli Mitchell, 27%. I saw in a number of tournaments, like 25, 27%. It's, it's crazy. Yeah. I, I don't, I can't remember Sony Michelle. Um, I guess maybe PLs just don't like to play Sonny Michelle because well, he's never done it before, quote unquote. You made the point on Gibson too. That's something that's really interesting. It's something I talk about a lot with NBA, but it was really relevant yesterday too. I thought Antonio Gibson was a great play. I also barely played him. Um, the reason was that, you know, you mentioned the ownership and we had him projected for about 30%. So we had him being more popular than Michelle. There was nobody else priced around Sonny Michelle that was remotely close in terms of range of outcomes to what Sonny Michelle could do. So I just wanted to jam him in, open up more salary for myself and be contrarian elsewhere. Antonio Gibson was great. Eli Mitchell was great, but you had so many other guys around them. Um, David Montgomery, James Conner, Jacobs, all of these guys have similar enough workloads to Gibson and uh, Mitchell to where even if Gibson and Mitchell project a little bit better, they're still going to lose to those guys to the field 
you know, a very high percentage of the time where there's just no competition at the price point for Michelle. So that's one thing that I harp on a lot in NBA. And it was really something that mattered yesterday too, where if there's nobody in this guy's price range that can compete with him, that becomes somebody I'm willing to just jam in, even if they're popular. Um, and then I can pivot off of somebody like Gibson to somebody like David Montgomery and expect a similar range of outcomes. Agreed. Have you ever seen Jordan Klein happier than when he's been dog sitting this dog over here? Uh, there's this big dog that I've oh, never seen before. I just saw his elbow moving back and forth under the camera. I was... <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's not good. Well, uh, if you're listening to us in podcast form, just use your imagination. It's him petting a dog, though. All right, that's helpful. Yeah, yeah, don't use your imagination. We don't need that. What I need you to do right now is head over to Osmo. Sign up for tools and content. Weekly pass starting for $29.95. Every single sport behind the paywall. Premium content here. Player projections, ownership projections, premium Discord channel, lineup builder, and so much more. And if you're a new user to Osmo Plus Platinum right now, use this promo code NFL Lineup Preview. Or, sorry, NFL Lineup Review, all caps, one word. NFL Strategy Show. We're going to be doing Strategy Show with that. Okay, so it's different. You got it. Okay, so it's got to be the other one. Correct. Thank you, Jordan Klein. Good. We've got it. It's going to be NFL Lineup Review. That is the promo code you have to use. Uh, There it is. Look at that. Super quick. 25% off. That gets you 25% off your first week of Osmo Plus Platinum. Utilize that now. It doesn't get better. There's no better time to jump in than now. If you want the tools that Adam, that myself, that Alex Baker, that everybody here at Awesome is using every single day, the ins and outs that make making money so much easier. Yes, yes, we can make lots of money limited Monday. I'm promising you, I, I had a great NFL Sunday. I'm sorry that one pick didn't go well. That's so awful. But NFL lineup review is what's going to get it done for you. Enjoy, check it out. Uh, stop guessing, start winning. Let's keep ourselves moving here. We've got some of the plays that absolutely busted. And I, I wanted to talk about Sony right off the top because again, 96% was your exposure to him there in the Millie Maker. But let's go through the ins and outs of these top plays. George Kittle, Dallas Goddard. You got to have one. You did not survive more than likely. Well, survive, you could have survived. But I want to talk about George Kittle. I want to talk about Dallas Goddard. I'm going to throw Foster Moreau into the conversation here as well. I haven't gone through any of your exposures here at the tight end position yet, but it was a make or break position. And it hasn't been on a lot of slates, pretty much 12 straight slates where the tight end position hasn't mattered that much. But George Kittle going just super Saiyan, 42.6 fantasy points over on DK. Dallas Goddard, 31.5. And then Foster Moreau, who might have been the most overowned play I can ever remember on a tournament slate. How did you handle the tight end position this week? Um, so I played very, very, very little Foster Moreau. Talked about that a lot on the show with Josh yesterday morning that I thought that was one of the easiest spots to get away from in tournaments. It was a very obvious cash play that you just needed to, to, to make. But in tournaments, to me, there was no real reason to be getting there at his ownership. Um, we've talked about this with the tight end position a ton this year. It happens a lot. You get some random tight end getting a bigger projected role than normal. So they end up showing up in a ton of lineups because they project for like 3.5x, which is good, but you still have to be considering the range of outcomes. And if it doesn't matter what the guy's salary is, if you use a roster spot on someone that scores nine fantasy points, it's not helping you win anything. It, it, if he's cheap, it's not hurting you. You know, you're still opening mm-hmm. up salary elsewhere, but if he's popular, that means everyone else is opening up that salary as well. So that nine points isn't doing anything for you. Um, if he scores like four or five points, which is always possible for a random tight end, if he doesn't get in the end zone, it's pretty likely he doesn't have a big game. 
and a third of the field is using a roster spot on someone that scores five points, you're in a really, really good position. So um, it's why, you know, even when I pay down at tight end, I typically just spread it across low owned guys and end up not really getting to the popular guys. So it didn't really play Moreau. I played, I was even with the field on Kittle. I played a ton of Kyle Pitts. That's because I played a ton of Tampa Bay. I just happened to get, you know, a lot of Pitts runbacks. Obviously I wish that I had jammed in Kittle and not Pitts, but um, that, it, it basically, that that's how I played it. I paid, I paid up. I was even with the field on Gronk, um, you know, goes with my Tampa Bay stacks. I was way over the field on Pitts. I was even with the field on Kittle. I was massively under on Foster Moreau. I was over on Dallas Goddard, um, just looking for high upside, low owned tight ends. And knowing that if any of them have a big game in terms of raw points, Foster Moreau can four X his salary at 2,700. And as long as, you know, Goddard or Kittle or Pitts or Gronk score, you know, have six catches and score a touchdown or something. I'm just blowing the Foster Moreau teams out of the water. And that's exactly what happened. And it was incredible uh, doing a live before lock show where everybody's like, how could you not like Foster Moreau, especially Foster Moreau is a guy that uh, I think it was like week seven. It was going back to it where I talked about how he was going to be my highest on tight end. We had a very high probability of Darren Waller being out. And yet he looked like he was going to get no attention and he was 2,500. It was a completely different situation than somebody who gets talked about for an entire week. Everybody's going to roster, you know, everybody's going to roster him. And there's no real, uh, there's no real hidden play that's waiting in the wings there that he was however many weeks ago. Plus, you know, you're able to punt, you're able to get to a different roster construction than everybody else. I think, you know, for me, in hindsight, uh, James O'Shaughnessy, I'm going to throw him into the mix as well. He was $100 cheaper, and I'm kind of mad at myself in hindsight. And it's not even that he just didn't perform, but it's that I was going to be following identical roster construction to a lot of these other teams that were rostering the same guy at the exact same price. Uh, do you ever kind of consider that as something when you're looking at tight end, you're like, well, if I get up to Kittle, if I get up to Goddard, I'm going to at least have a team that looks a lot different rather than just, you know, one piece at the same price point. Yeah. And I think that's appealing. I think O'Shaughnessy, if you were, if you were going cheap tight end, because there are some lineups where you just needed a cheap tight end for it to work. Um, that's where I think O'Shaughnessy fit in because you're getting one, what one seventh of the ownership. Um, so like if you have, let's say you have a contrarian stack, but it's expensive. And so you need a cheap tight end, but you're just like, okay, I still don't want to go to 33% own Moreau. That's where I think O'Shaughnessy fit in. But I also didn't want to just like jam in a bunch of O'Shaughnessy in place of Moreau because I thought there was a lot of upside at the position if I just paid up for lower own guys. And I didn't think it was that difficult to do given the running back value. Uh, so, you know, yeah, like I had 9% O'Shaughnessy. I think I had 4% Moreau. Um, so I was over the field on O'Shaughnessy. I was well under the field on Moreau, but in general, I just didn't really go to that price range. I just played a bunch more of guys that I thought had legitimate, you know, 20 plus fantasy point upside. Um, and somebody in chat said, you know, Moreau didn't kill your lineups. I think in large field tournaments, looking at it that way is really bad because yes. like, it, yeah, he can't kill you at 2,700. He really cannot kill your lineup in the sense of um, keep it from scoring a lot of points because 2,700 is just irrelevant, but there's still opportunity cost to every position. And when you have the top scoring player at a position where most people are only rostering one player score 38 points more, that's really, really tough to make up elsewhere in your lineup, regardless of how much money you save. Even if you just throw away Kittle and say 42 points is absurd, which it is the 31 from Goddard, you know, 21, 22 from, from Gronkowski. It's really difficult to make up that number of raw points, regardless of what salary you saved. And then when you factor in that one third of the field has that same roster construction um, and they are, you know, whatever, let, let's say you somehow do make up those points because some expensive wide receiver just goes nuts. 
that receiver is probably relatively popular because the field used the exact same roster construction as you. So it's not just when you're talking about winning large field tournaments, it's not just about um, not getting killed because your point per dollar, your guy was really cheap and um, did relatively well or did okay from a point per dollar standpoint and opened up money elsewhere. That's you didn't get killed as far as min cashing. A lot of people I'm sure cashed with Foster Moreau, but it made it very, very, very difficult for you to get first place in tournaments. If you played Moreau. Absolutely. We've got two super chats. We're going to catch up on these right now. Rafael Campos, what is the max amount of players in your pool for a 20 max and 150 max? I think pretty generic question. Generally, uh, Adam, how many players are you looking to have in your player pool weekly? And it's probably going to change based on the week. I don't pay any attention to it. Yeah. Um, so like, and I don't mean to like, I'm not trying to, you know, avoid the question or anything. Yeah, I've never um, there, there's not an answer there. Like I don't take anyone out of my player pool, but, you know, assuming they're not playing like i'll set like a points threshold where like i don't want to accidentally be getting guys that project for like less than five or six points but um i don't take anyone out i just let projections do the work i let my process do the work so um he had asked before you know i I had i played 93 players this week i had no idea what the answer to that question was until Mm -hmm. he asked and i looked um i won't know next week i'm I'm not going into next week aiming (laughs) for 90 to 100 players or anything that's just uh it's how it works out you know it's going to be influenced by slates you know um how how many just like stone lock plays are there you know if there's three sony michelles on a slate then you're going to have less players in your player you're going to end up playing less players typically just because you're allocating a lot of exposure to three guys yesterday the only guy that i was really jamming in was michelle so um and to some extent williams i guess but uh that Mm -hmm. you know probably made me play a little bit more so um yeah not not as a cop out or anything but i don't pay attention to it like in the sense that i have legitimately no idea how many guys i play on any given slate it's the same way that I don't care about what a cash lineup scored. Like I don't care about the number at the end of the day. Like I care about it relative to other players because winning matters more than, Oh, I put up 200 and I didn't cash in whatever, like whatever capacity I'm in mean, 200 would have cashed you yesterday, but you know, Oh, I put up 175. How is that not cashing? Well, because the chalk went nuts in some spots and you just didn't have that good of a lineup compared to everybody else. That might be the correct answer. So normalize those things. And yeah, players in your pool, not going to be something to pay attention to. And then the real Jet N popping in to say, hey, to Ben the better, as I'm sure he's watching today to learn how to win. Hello, if he's watching, uh, hit that like button, hit that subscribe button, hit that notification bell. That way you can know when all the other content here at Osmo is going live. Everybody else do that at the same time. I'm always scared to like bring up other DFS people in the sphere because you know, I don't want them coming after me. I don't want to, you know, start anything. I, I feel like it's a pretty good ecosystem we have. But anything you'd like to say, Adam, share to Ben the better? No, I mean, I don't have any issue with the guy. But if, yeah. if he did happen to be watching and wanted to start playing head-to-heads again, feel free to let me know. Ship my money DFS. Hit him up. Probably going to be posted in the lobby here for NBA today. 10 game. Enjoy. enjoy yeah, I, I haven't been playing cash lately anymore, but I will oh. gladly make an exception if he wants to reach out. <laughs> See, there it is. I was just kind of trying to stir the pot a little bit, but here we go. Let's keep going uh, back over to some of the plays that absolutely smashed here. Tight end. We've covered running back. We've covered the expensive end of wide receiver. Let's actually look at some bus. I like looking at bus because that means that they did not play very well, comparably to what we expected here. That kind of goes for, I mean, Saquon Barkley still put up 13.4. I'm not going to call him like the bust of bust, but Jamar Chase, 10.2. People have been paying up for him 10.2%. He was basically the one bomb uh, at the top end of that wide receiver pool. And part of it is T Higgins is a monster. That touchdown catch he had 
you know, in between two chargers going straight up, elevating, he can just flat out catch footballs. Uh, Tyler Boyd, very, very serviceable as well. Joe Mixon, a major bust there as well. They got in a, a negative game script almost immediately there uh, for him uh, up against the Chargers, a team that, you know, you might have been expecting that he would be able to run on, but uh, it doesn't look like anybody rostered him from Osmo. That's a beautiful thing to see. Uh, kind of avoided that, that landmine as well. Jamal Williams. So we kind of discussed a little bit about him, but he was your highest rostered player on the early slate. He was your second most rostered player here on the main slate. And yet you live to tell the tale. And that's because the rest of your core was fantastic. Jamal Williams, there's really no way of looking at it other than he was a great play and did not come to fruition. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, um, it wasn't. I, I kind of wish I'd had. Well, obviously now I wish I'd had less, but even like <laughs> thinking from a process standpoint, I think that I've probably got a little aggressive there, but at the same time, you know, he's involved in the passing game. We've seen him plenty, you know, in green Bay, we've seen him, you know, in Detroit, he's a capable fantasy producer. It's not like he's some random dude that is just going to run into the line 15 times and get 40 yards and and move on. Uh, There's certainly, you know, a path to success for him. Minnesota defensively isn't very good in general. Um, So it it just, I thought it was a pretty good play. I thought that he was going to be popular, but also lower owned than guys like Gibson and, uh, Mitchell, et cetera. We had him projected for 16% ownership. Uh, he came in at 22, but still like even um, on the other side of this game, for example, we had Madison at 22%. We had Williams at 16. Madison was what? $2,200 more expensive. So even though I thought Madison was a great play and I ended up around the field, I just kind of ended up getting Jamal Williams pushed up because I didn't think that there was a huge difference in the chances of success for him and the other, you know, the more, um, more popular guys in his price range. He was a little bit cheaper than a lot of them. And so, yeah, you know, it didn't work out, but you kind of have to, I don't want to say you have to take a stand somewhere. I don't mean it in the sense like you have to like artificially take a stand on somebody you don't really want to, but you're just naturally going to end up with, you know, somebody has to be your second highest stone guy. It happened to be Jamal Williams. Somebody has to. And again, it's a 5,400 running back where his backup was like a lifetime special teamer. So what are you going to do? Like I, I played him in cash. I thought I didn't want to be as high on tournaments. I thought that there were a number of great tournament pivots to be looking around at. And the mid range of running back was loaded. Sony Michelle was going to take up a bunch of those roster spots. And, you know, you're going to roster two or three running backs in every lineup. And, and, you know, in cash, there was an obvious three running back week. And uh, looking at the board here, um, I can't really say anything about Jamal Williams. There were a a number of other places to kind of go to, but uh, Jamal Williams just kind of didn't, work out. And I think you play that game a hundred times. It's going to work out more than it's not at that price point for sure. Uh, for sure. Not going to burn you with, you know, a, a sub 10 point game a number of times. Cause how many times has Amon Ross saying Brown completely just torch it there at the end? I, I, I have no words. I, if Mike, how is Mike, how did I not wake up to Zimmer fired news? <laughs> how did I not wake up to that? I, it, I basically. It's impressive when you lose to a team that was very clearly actively trying not to win the game. Like the fourth down play call, I like I I liked going for it on fourth down, mm-hmm. but then they like they they had Williams. They run the play action, which was good. They have Williams wide open for like yep. a one yard completion, and Golf is just like staring downfield, like he needs to complete like a forty eight yard pass or something here and get stripped. And it's like okay, well that was what I'm sure the Lions front office was hoping for. Um, and then they still end up coming back to beat Vikings. I might have to let my kids just be like LA sports fans or something. (laughs) I I can't, I can't do this to them. They 34 years of my life and it's not getting better folks. It's not getting better. 
nothing is good. And I have Justin Jefferson on my football team. And yet I'm miserable. That's how I felt. That's how like I feel with McLaurin when Washington is um, doing poorly. It's like, yeah, well, at least I get to watch McLaurin and Chase Young, but then Chase Young got hurt and sucked this year anyway. Yeah. And it it didn't like in a roundabout way affects Philly fans. And we have a million of them, it seems like here at Osmos. So, uh, you know, just the Jalen Rager, uh, Justin Jefferson difference is just monumental and it's beautiful to have at least something to cling on to because everything else is awful. Anything else you want to discuss at the running back position? I think we've done a pretty good job of encompassing some of the top plays, maybe quarterback quarterbacks, the one spot we haven't really looked at. And that's because it didn't matter the way that it might on some other slates. We've seen some, uh, some massive ceiling performances by a number of guys on the top end of quarterback here, but you could have played Justin Herbert 24.14. You could have ended up with Kyler Murray. You could have ended up with, uh, you know, uh, a number of these other guys that that didn't necessarily completely smash, but uh, everybody was in a pretty tight distribution. You needed to land on Chris Godwin, I think, in that mid-range. So maybe Tom Brady was somebody that you went to a little bit more of. What do you really kind of think about for quarterback on this slate? Yeah, I thought quarterback ended up being really interesting because, and I, I kind of mentioned this earlier when we talked about the early slate, but um, in looking at the stuff on, like in my first look, because uh, for anyone that's not aware, like I don't start, I don't do anything NFL-wise until Sunday morning. So like the first look I first look show I do with Josh is genuinely my first look at the slate and kind of seeing what I think. And then, you know, obviously I run through my stuff after. Um, but when I first looked at it, I was like, man, the spot looks good for Brady and for Tampa Bay. You have Godwin in a great spot. You have Gronk in a good spot. Uh, you have, you know, potentially good runbacks on Atlanta that you can go to if you wanted the full game stack. Uh, so I thought it was a really good spot, but it was a lot of times what happens for me is spots like that, I end up not really getting to them because not only is the quarterback getting ownership, but the receivers that I want are getting ownership. And then, you know, maybe the run back is getting ownership as well. And it makes it really, really difficult. But what ended up happening once I built lineups was you had not a huge gap in ownership. You know, we had Brady projected Mm -hmm. at 14%. He came in at 18, but we had Minshew at nine. We had Carr at seven. We had Herbert at nine. Um, You know, Cousins and Stafford between seven and eight. These were guys that I thought were good pivots, but they were just not that far off of Brady's ownership. And then also Kyle Pitts was low owned. Uh, Russell Gage was low owned. You could mix in Fournette at relatively low ownership um, as part of, you know, as a more contrarian way to build a Tampa Bay stack. Um, Evans was only getting like half the ownership of, of Godwin. So it kind of ended up turning out that all of those kind of factors combined made it. So I just jammed in a lot of Tom Brady and ended up being a lot more concentrated on a popular quarterback than I normally am just because there wasn't really that big of an ownership gap between him and what I thought were a little bit worse alternatives, um, but the alternatives that I would have gone to, there wasn't a huge ownership gap between, you know, someone like Godwin and some of the other mid range options. Um, so this is a spot where like, I really like the spot, but if you had told me that Brady's 18%, but Godwin is like 35% and Gronk is 30%, I would have had a mm-hmm. lot less Tampa, but as it turned out, it was still pretty easy to build contrarian teams around that stack. Yeah. You were nearly four X the field on Tom Brady. He was the highest scoring quarterback on the slate. That's usually helpful. I'm going to say that that's helpful. Justin Herbert, just nearly 30 there as well. A little bit cheaper. He ended up in a lot of winning lineups as well, but there was no standout individual performer. Actually, Kirk Cousins uh, sitting up there near the top here as well. Kyler Murray, a little bit more expensive, 2.2%, but uh, no real run back that you needed there. Um, He ended up having the rushing touchdown, which kind of pushed it up a little bit further there. Uh, it was it was just a, a pretty flat position there. You you basically needed one of those three, and you were just set. Matthew Stafford didn't 
completely burn you either there. 24 for him and obviously gave you exposure to Cup. If you played J- Van Jefferson on the other side of it, even Odell didn't completely burn me in a couple of those lineups as well. So uh, quarterback, that was kind of a nice discussion point. And another nice discussion point is no house advantage. They are the presenting sponsor here of the week 13 review show. Check out their player prop site. They basically are doing 100% peer-to-peer. It helps level the playing field, makes it a lot easier for you, the player, to win. Over 500 player props that are offered over at No House Advantage. And right now, using promo code OSMO, which, (laughs) common thread, all of these sites, we're going to be using promo code OSMO. It makes sense. $25 deposit bonus. That goes into your account immediately. That's how you build and sustain a bankroll is by taking advantage of these offers, whether it's at sportsbooks, whether it's at sites, no house advantage is doing you guys a favor by hooking you up with that extra $25. They now also have a great CSV upload system where it's pretty darn easy to use. They've got great prize pools. Utilize this site, utilize all these sites that we're talking about because they are the easiest to go win on. Yeah, you don't have to deal with all the sharks. You don't have to deal with, you know, the Adam shares of the world that are going to take all of your money in tournaments here, especially if you're Ben, the better. But I'm looking at the rest of No House Advantage, and it looks like uh, there's been some overlay here in recent days as well. They'll have the Monday night contest. Go play. Go enter that. Use promo code Osmo. Get that $25. And thank you so much to them for their sponsorship of the show. We've loved working with them, had an opportunity to talk with some of the guys behind the scenes here on some calls, and they just are doing a great job pushing the player forward. And so we appreciate that and look forward to working with them more and more in the future. All righty, let's get ourselves on over to the exposures for individuals. Let's start with Alex Baker. It's his name that's on the site. So I feel like, you know, we should maybe discuss his player pool. I was very surprised to see that uh, Saquon Barkley, and again, I liked Saquon Barkley a lot yesterday, and 13.4. He definitely didn't completely bust, but compared to other running backs that you could have rostered, he did. I thought he was a phenomenal play because everybody else, when you have Sony Michelle emerge, when you have Eli Mitchell, uh, Gibson, when you have Jamal Williams, when you have all these mid-range running backs, Saquon Barkley has as sure of a workload as humanly possible Mike Glennon instead of Daniel Jones, inherently you think about it and you would think it would be dump off central. Well, yeah, that was basically the only way he got there was getting some of those dump offs to, to even get to double digit points. But boss man, 50% Sony Michelle looks like maybe a hard cap you put on that. And then Saquon Barkley, number two at 48.7%. I had just a little bit over 25% and I would not regret uh, a single thing that I did in that regard. What do you think about the Saquon Barkley play for the boss man? I thought it made sense. I only had 4%. So it obviously wasn't the guy that I ended up getting to, but the, I, I think like the theory is the same as we were kind of talking about with some of um, the other running backs where you had a lot of ownership going to Mitchell. You had a lot going to Gibson. There were just so many quality names, quality options in that price range that just getting to a couple of them that were a little bit lower owned made a lot of sense. Um, David Montgomery, you know, was another one. Alex was overweight. He had 19%. Uh, we both actually had exactly 19.3% in the milli on a uh, David collusion. Collusion. Yeah. <laughs> um, but that, that's another one. You know, he was 4% owned. Like, it's not that they, it's not that you necessarily think that Barkley is actually a better play than Gibson or actually a better play than Mitchell. It's that you're just getting paid more when they do better and they're going to do better often enough to uh, be worth it. So um, it kind of goes back to something we talk about a lot. You know, in a lot of cases, especially in tournaments, you're not looking at these guys and like nitpicking saying, oh, I think he's going to be the best running back because X, Y, Z, like this team doesn't defend this play well and he does it a lot and like whatever. It's not, you know, maybe Alex is doing that. I kind of doubt it. Um, Mm -hmm. it, It's not getting bogged down in details like that. It's more 
um, you can give yourself an advantage by taking a step back and just saying, uh, there's a ton of, of volatility here. I don't really know anything. Nobody does. And if, you know, people are all just going to concentrate on one or two guys in a range of players that have similar chances of success, even if one is slightly better than the other for one reason or another, um, you're just going to get paid more money by ending up with one or two of those lower owned guys in a lot more of your lineups. So now the fun part here, George Kittle, I'm going to give the boss man a shout out because I was fighting with myself all weekend and it sounds like a stupid thing to say, but when you're playing a lot of NFL, you know, regardless of your bankroll, regardless of what it means to you, you know, it's the sport that has a week of anticipation for these main slates and you're putting a lot more work into it than what I'm going to put into any other given slate. And I had said on a Friday show for another uh, for another site that I normally do with Adam Kaufman. I was able to do with Terry, Terry McBride, hardest working guy here at Osmo. The guy's an absolute stud. But on Friday, I was talking with him about how I was so against the Foster Moreau play at ownership and that more than likely I would just try to jam in whoever my top projected tight end was uh, for cash and for other purposes. Played 150 head to heads and won 150 of them purely because on the deeper diver, uh, the NFL, the the game-by-game breakdown that they did, Alex said that he wouldn't play Foster Moreau in cash. He would play George Kittle, and George Kittle was his guy. And I got to say, that was an absolute luck box for me to be able to have him confirm that for me. If you want to know what uh, the utility of the shows is, even for me as somebody who's hosting or talking about things, it was completely 100% the boss man saying George Kittle would be his preferred cash play. And obviously he was the highest projected play there at Osmo. We've talked about the tight end position a lot, but wanted to give him a shout out because uh, him, that one call, that one play, not playing Foster Moreau, playing George Kittle drastically changed my Sunday. And so I just, I appreciate him. Uh, thought I would do that rather than call him names here on this show, which is something that I've done in the past. Uh <laughs> Whether or not that was intentional or not, I mean, that's uh, that's a different conversation. But Cooper Cup, 39.3%. We didn't talk about him at all. He's just in that bucket of other expensive wide receivers that completely went nuts. Cooper Cup, 38.7%, 36.7%. The guy's like a, a can't-fail play week in, week out, right? Yeah, it's pretty insane how he just always gets there. Uh, even yesterday, I think he started pretty slowly, and it was like, wow, maybe Cooper Cup is actually going to disappoint this week, and he doesn't. Um, just gets an insane amount of volume, gets red zone work, gets everything. The Rams do a good job of getting the ball into his hands. So he's less susceptible to those games that big receivers have where, you know, they get their targets deep and there's pass interference or, you know, it's just incomplete or whatever. And then they end up not getting there. Uh, Cup just gets so many targets and so many of them are um, on high percentage routes or, you know, they're high percentage balls. So uh, yeah, he's, there's not even really much to say about him anymore. He's just insanely consistent and also has a really high ceiling. He's just, outrageous hunter renfro uh that was my direct leverage that i was looking at uh and it looks like boss man was looking at 24 percent ownership there for for, uh, for hunter renfro if i had known that number coming in i probably wouldn't have been there but it, again he seemed like a, a fantastic play uh he was cashy for me but a phenomenal tournament play i think too uh compared to playing foster Moreau. I just can't get over it. Chris Godwin, Alexander Madison, a lot of really good plays here on the top end. I think Osmo had a pretty fantastic NFL Sunday. Looked like all the guys I saw DeColtz made a run here at the Millie. Let me, uh, how much did DeColtz end up winning in the Millie? Because I think he 21. was up there. He got fifth. He got fifth. I was going to say, he he was up there near you as well. It was a really fun sweat to be watching you guys kind of climbing up the leaderboard there towards the end. And, uh, you know, obviously you need to be perfect to, to kind of finish it out and to be able to take that thing down. And, you know, first out of a 200,000 total entry contest, 
yeah, it's going to need to be pretty close to perfect. But uh, both of you guys, just phenomenal exposures here. And it was nice to see to Colts, somebody we've been breaking down his lineups here a lot. Let's sort by him. Jamal Williams, 72.7% there. Man, another Jamal Williams guy that, uh, you know, you look at three-fourths of your lineups, basically not having a piece that is, it's going to be painful uh, having Jamal Williams in there. And you want 100K with Jamal Williams in your lineup. So, Again, that you can still the, not, you don't have to be a hundred percent perfect. Go ahead. The Millie winner had Jamal Williams. He did. Oh my God. See, this is incredible. The NFL, I mean, NBA, it's like, you have to be perfect. And this, there's actually some leeway. It looks like for, for some of these plays, just depending, you need to have the stack, the combination. I think George Kittle and, and Dallas Goddard were the absolute must. Nice to have a tight end position be like the big cornerstone. Miles Sanders, I love that play. 42.7%. Um, you know, in, in hindsight, I think he was a guy that uh, a lot of people wish that they could have back when you have uh, somebody like Gardner Minshew out there instead of uh, Jalen Hurts. That's just more plays that might be going through the air than would be on the ground or vice versa, where you're going to get more touches for a guy like Miles Sanders here in this spot. I didn't see what that workload ended up being for him, but I know it was as good of a spot as you were going to find considering Jalen Hurts confirmed good at running. Uh, what did you think about Miles Sanders on this slate? Yeah, I thought he was a really good play as well. I thought there was a, like a lot of really weird narratives around him where it seemed like people kind of like they, they have this you know bias against Miles Sanders where, you know, he's talented. So I play him and then he always disappoints. Um, and then there's obviously, you know, the kind of the narrative around the Eagles where, uh, you know, you play Miles Sanders and then, some combination of Scott Gainwell, Howard, when he's active, end up stealing touchdowns. Um, but then, so he, he was really popular two weeks ago against the Giants. And it, it seemed like it was really weird. Like people were like, oh, it happened again. Miles Sanders barely did anything. Miles Sanders played 22 plays and got hurt. In those 22 plays, he had nine carries and a target. Like what, mm -hmm. what about week, two weeks ago, other than the fact he got hurt and left the game, made you not have like not want to play Miles Sanders again. Um, you know, and then three, three games ago now he is the game, you know, he had 16 carries for 94 yards. He only had the one target there, but he was still really cheap. He was in a good spot. Um, you could certainly, like you were saying, you could certainly make the case that getting Minshew made him look better too, because um, he's not, not that Minshew can't run, but he's not going to run like Jalen hurts. He's mm -hmm. also less likely to steal goal line work. Um, so it, it made Sanders look better. Anyway, I thought it was really weird how, not I, I'm not saying I thought it was weird people weren't comfortable playing Miles Sanders because all of those issues do exist where yeah. you know he loses goal line touches and, and all of that they have other backs and, and everything but it was really weird that people were holding the week before as like a negative against him when he kind of got the work that you wanted and then he got hurt uh, he was <clears throat> he was on his way to a pretty good game there so uh, that was weird to me and then yeah last yesterday 24 carries for 120 yards three targets for 22 yards didn't yeah. get in the end zone but uh, yeah, I thought he was a really good option at low ownership. He gets in the end zone. You just simply tag that one up. He becomes more of a must-have play. Right. Um, it's it, it was a fantastic play. I probably should have gotten even more, but he was a great uh, talking point here. And obviously, DeColt's 42.7%. You want to know why he was successful? Well, you make plays like that, that you're going to be four, five, six X the field. You're in a really good spot in tournaments. Deontay Johnson, another guy, he was massively overweight too. That was my favorite uh, tournament play, I think, at the wide receiver position. He had like 13 targets in five of his last six games and just on volume alone, sub 7K. Baltimore's defense is not what Baltimore's defense has been in years past. And obviously it was a really nice fourth quarter to be able to get there. Uh, that fourth quarter kind of shot out pretty interestingly enough, but um, it was a pretty boring game through three quarters. 
Uh, that fourth I was quarter just, was expensive for me. Oh, uh, it was. Yeah, I mean, just I didn't, I didn't, I only had four percent the outcome. Oh, yeah. so um, yeah, it was a lot of like, you know, oh, I'm kind of towards the top of some tournaments, you know, <laughs> see how things go, and then it's just like, oh, that's not yeah, moi, moi, yeah. moi. a little bit of Mario action there. Um, yeah, him, Kittle, and then Mitchell at the end. Uh, yeah, it went downhill God. a little bit. <laughs> Kittle went downhill a little bit, you think, there? Uh, yeah, that's crazy. Let's jump over to Neil's here. We've got six minutes left in the show. We should round this puppy out, and then we'll go to the worst lineup. We can't do it for the number one guy, so we're going to go to the worst lineup of Adams uh, for the Millie Maker just to make us all feel better about the fact that we didn't win 100K on Sunday. But, uh, Neil, 82% Sony Michelle, love it. Jamal Williams, another piece. Everybody here at Osmo.com, really, really high on Jamal Williams. Cooper Cup, Alexander Madison, Hunter Renfro, Matthew Stafford, uh, George Kittle. I think looking at Neil, Neil is really reliant on the two tools, and you should be because the guys want a Millie Maker using them, and they're phenomenal. Matthew Stafford. This entire Ram stack was by far the highest top stack potential. And it almost was kind of, a, what was it? It was kind of a negative where it just got spread around quite a bit. I mean, Van Jefferson is a, a really good wide receiver. Odell Beckham is going to be somebody who I think emerges in this offense. Do you have any concerns for the Rams going forward that it might just be three really, really good wide receivers here and the ball might get spread around a little bit more? I don't think they're taking it away from Cup. No, they're not. I didn't say Cup. Cup Cup is an outlier, but the other oh. guys, and then Matthew Stafford. I mean, where we should, I guess that'll be a talk for a different day when we actually can talk about the slate ahead. As as I said, Adam's not looking at a slate till Sunday morning, so there's that. Yeah, um, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think it's going to be difficult to like game by game guess who has the bigger game between Beckham and Jefferson. Yeah, so we'll just kind of spread it around, and I'm sure the Rams will continue to be at the top of the top stacks tool going forward because their passing game is going to be ridiculous. It's just uh, going to happen here. Higby, another popular play that he got to there. I think it just made a lot of sense to get to a lot of Rams. Uh, looks like it was pretty condensed around Cup, around Sonny Michelle. Makes a lot of sense. And to finish it all out, shit my money here. We've gone through all of his exposures on the early slate stuff, but here's Sonny Michelle, 96%. Jamal Williams, 58.7%. The Brady, Godwin, love that so much. Hunter Renfro, Cooper Cup. Kyle Pitts, you guys can survive Jamal Williams, Kyle Pitts. You, it's so hard to be perfect with your player pool. You don't have to be perfect. You just have to be able to shoot your target at the dartboard in kind of a correct fashion. And I think you did a phenomenal job of that here. Devonte Parker, he was really the only cheap wide receiver to, to, that really did anything. Devonte Parker, how did you factor him at the end of this slate, considering he ends up being active? He's like the one wide receiver who sticks out under 4K. Yeah, it was kind of like him and Reynolds were, I think, the only guys the, that I really had much interest in getting to on the main slate. Um, I, I wasn't, you know, super confident in him or anything, and the ownership wasn't super appealing, but uh, it was just, you know, some lineups I needed cheap guys, and there was at least a path to success for him. Didn't really know what the workload would look like, but uh, assuming that he was healthy, you know, there was obviously volume available for him. So, uh, yeah, it wasn't anything that I was really confident in. He just, you know, fit into some lineups. All righty. Let's head on down. You know what? This is kind of crazy. Uh, your worst lineup in the Millie still finished 25,376, which sounds weird, but like, is that literally what your worst performing lineup was? Oh, I didn't even see. That's, is oh, that no, no, still no, no, cashing? No, 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 161, 193. 161, 193. All right, there it is. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Taylor Heineke, Jamal Williams, Sonny Michelle, no, Hunter no, Renfro. Oh, beyond that, it's even further. That's the yeah. one that popped up on my screen here. There, it's Derek Carr, 
Jamal Williams, James Conner, Brandon Cooks, Brandon Ayuk, Renfro, Pitts, Jacobs, Dolphins. All right. Hashtag no regrets. Yeah, just whatever. It, it was it was a Raider stack. <laughs> I did like Josh Jacobs yesterday, especially after Jalen Richard got ruled out. Um, yeah, didn't come through. Pitts sucked. Ayuk sucked. Cook sucked, but uh, Williams sucked. Yeah, just I mean, it, it wasn't a good team, but I'm fine with like I'm not looking at it like what was I doing? Yeah, no, there's really no issue that I have with that lineup. Again, construct your lineups well, put your player pool together, let it ride, let it ride. You did a great job here this NFL Sunday. Great, great week here for Adam Share. Check him out at Ship My Money DFS over on Twitter. Adam, any final words for the people or anything you want to recap that we didn't discuss? Uh, no, nothing football related. Just a reminder, anybody that missed the strategy show, the NBA strategy show this morning with Josh, and that is looking for NBA content. Greg and I have a new uh, show. I don't think it's live, but we'll have a new video up this afternoon that we're doing uh, in place of the NBA deep dive article, breaking down the day's injury situation. So um, kind of just going through the relevant injuries and what you should be looking to, what you should be adjusting to, you know, if stuff happens. So uh, we'll have that coming out this afternoon. Um, that'll be our first one. We're going to be doing that going forward. So keep an eye out for that. If you are playing NBA tonight. That's awesome. I, I didn't even know that that was happening until this very second. So yeah. Uh, I'm going to be checking that out. I think you all should as well. Uh, go give that a click. We always like putting out new content and not just trying new things. I mean, these are two of the sharpest guys in the NBA, Greg Ehrenberg, Adam Scher, breaking down injury news. Uh, I can't think of a, a whole lot of other things that would have more utility than that. So go check it out. We have a bunch of shows, though, coming down the pipeline for today. I'm going to read through all of these puppies. Here we go. We've got the Osmo betting show. That's coming up here in 30 minutes over on the Odds channel. So go to Osmo Odds. Awesome fantasy football. Go give those both a subscribe. We have the NHL strategy show on this channel here at 2 p.m. Eastern time, 3 p.m. Eastern time, NFL live show, Pete McCarthy, Matt Savoka. That'll be enjoyable. Deeper dive presented by uh, Yahoo. It's going to be a Yahoo show. Aton LaMarca there. Then NBA deeper dive. That's Lafayette and Adam. Uh, 6 p.m. Eastern time, NBA live before lock, Josh and Greg. And then myself, Neil. Orfield, uh, Millie Maker winner, Neil Orfield, and Matt Savoka, 7.15 p.m. Eastern time, breaking down that Bills, that New England Patriots game. That's going to be exciting. Again, I have more higher hopes for it than what Adam does, but Adam's a pessimist. It is what it is. I'm looking forward to it. Hit the like button on the way out. Hit the subscribe button. He's Adam Sherry. He's 100K richer. I'm Eric. I'm going to go cry. We'll see you guys next time.